Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. When I joined Conagra, I'd been in CPG for about eight months. So that was a big, bold move to bring someone with my background after 16 years in automotive. And I had a ton of support in the organization to bring people from agency, from retail, from QSR, from all these different experiences that we brought together to help build new capabilities and help the enterprise find new ways to be successful in commerce. That was part of it where we brought this really diverse group of people and diverse group of partners together. Even when we worked with you guys, right? We had this team that said, we saw you on stage. We met you right after and said, let's work together. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. I know you've had experiences like this where you meet someone for the first time and you have an incredible conversation and there's something that's said that just sticks with you. I mean, this can happen outside of work and in work. And for me, I had met Daylu Jackson 2019 at a WPP stream commerce. I probably knew the guy for 30 seconds and he was shouting at me, share of stomach. And that really (laughs) just stuck with me for the last few years because it made me realize that we spend all of our time thinking of measurement and market share and return on ad spend. At least for me, I wasn't often putting it in human terms, which at the end of the day, at least when you're selling food, the amount of food that you actually can sell is just the amount of stomach space that's available of any given population. First of all, stomachs do expand. (laughs) I might be speaking from personal experience. I don't know. But that actually went back to the whole like question mark about the toilet paper shortage of last year. It was like, and the reason was purely you only poop so much. Right. And so therefore we will produce a certain amount of toilet paper. The problem is when people overconsume relative to their needs, you run into issues. But like you said, there is a finite amount of stomach space and there is a seemingly infinite amount of choices of food. So if you sell cookies, you're looking at other cookies as your competitors. And that already assumes you're already in the mindset for cookies. Mm-hmm. But what if you're in the mindset for something sweet? And if you're in the mindset for something sweet, are you in the mindset for something you're going to make? Something you're going to get from your pantry, DoorDash, something you're going to call a friend? Like there are so many different routes, even just to getting your sweet tooth satisfied, let alone the totality of options well beyond just like 
here are other cookies that look and sound like mine. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think one of the most impressive things is when you take this lens that Jay Lou talks about, share of stomach, and you apply it to what your competitors could be. You know, he brought up in terms of selling breakfast products, all of a sudden McDonald's can be on the list. And it reminds me of, you know, one of our last episodes with Yin from Milk Prep, how they're moving into more of the athletic space. I'm sure Gatorade, and maybe I'm wrong. I don't think Gatorade right now has on their competitive set muscle milk. And it's it's interesting to think about these pockets of white space. I remember in 2008, I know it was a very long time ago, we were looking to promote a television show. The target audience included gamers. They were like, so here's the media plan that we're thinking about, like gaming websites. I was just like, have we thought about in-game advertising? And they're like, no, why would we do that? Because you're competing against the game. You're not competing against what else is on Thursdays at nine. Mm-hmm. And it was like, how do you broaden your peripheral vision to see what else is out there that doesn't look exactly like you do? Actually, is a decent correlative to diversity. You're absolutely right. And there has to be a correlation between companies that can think in such a broad creative scale and the makeup of the thinkers inside the room, which in the case with ConAgra, because from personal experience working with them, it's one of the most diverse groups of people that I get to work with every single day. That's the thing. Diversity of people equals diversity of mindset equals more creativity. Causation is correlation. It's just, that's where you get better ideas. It's good for business. And it's just kind of silly that it's not that blatantly obvious. But I think the whole idea of this peripheral vision becomes that much better the more breadth of experience you're bringing versus like, I want to hire somebody that looks just like me, you know, and sounds just like me and acts just like me. Well, on that note, let's prove to the world how peripheral vision leads to greater share of stomach and hear from the man that's really behind all of these analogies, Daylou Jackson. Hey, Daylou. Hey, nice to see you guys. So great to see you. Even though it's been the pandemic, I feel like I've gotten quality Zoom time with you. (laughs) And it's funny, I was reflecting in my mind, we've known each other for at least five years, but I actually think we didn't meet until beginning of 2019. It was stream commerce in Miami. And I recall you coming up to me after, you know, I was probably doing some panel discussion and telling me all the opportunities that you were tackling at ConAgra, but as well as sort of your outlook on the ecosystem. And one thing that stuck with me was this KPI that you shared with me. And you pretty much said, Rachel, there's only one thing that matters to us, and that is share of stomach. What does this mean? I remember that as well. You were doing a panel and we were listening to all those different partners talk about how they could help portfolio companies really take advantage of this burgeoning space of e-commerce. The reason that KPI was so important, we have 100 brands and 8,000 products. When we talked about share or growth or how companies saw their opportunity, we wanted to bring it back to share of stomach because that's a human metric. When we think about the way we work in the food space, Right? That's your population that you can sell to, right? How many humans are there in any geography and how much do they eat? And, you know, we talked about this world of data, 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 data. I thought that's a really important data point that allows us to ground the opportunities for any given portfolio company 
to know what their opportunity is, not just individually, but holistically, right? Because consumers, I think the latest census said there's 330 million people in the US and 130 million households. And again, there you have it, right? How much do they eat? Well, that share of stomach is what we're after in terms of getting more of that for our collective portfolio. I love that. So follow-up question. I remember the first CPG brand I ever worked on, the brief that I got was not verbatim share of stomach. That's your baby. But it was, we want to drive more sandwich occasions. And if we can take people from 19 sandwiches a year to 20 sandwiches a year, we're going to blow out our year. And I was thinking, this is not very hard. Turns out it's kind of hard. Because when you look at the universe well beyond that, so like even how do you think about a go-to-market strategy when your garden, a restaurant, QSR is way more than purely trying to get people to buy more Duncan Hines, which by the way, I have share of stomach on. <laughs> My share of stomach is very heavy on yellow cake Duncan Hines, in case you're wondering. One, thank you. And everyone loves cake. Just remember that. I know that everyone loves oh, cake. You don't have to convince me. <laughs> Well, I'll take you back. That was part of my sort of journey to that recognition is before joining CPG, I worked at McDonald's. And in QSR, you guys may recall something called all day breakfast. Mm -hmm. And then I went to work for Kellogg's, right? Big cereal brand. And I remember a conversation where we said, you know, we were talking about the biggest breakfast brands. And when you looked at that competitive set, McDonald's wasn't on it. And that's a really important recognition in this concept of share stomach, because to your point, it is competition. And if McDonald's is growing and Starbucks are growing and they're growing share of stomach in the breakfast occasion, then any breakfast brand has to recognize, regardless of the product you sell, that share is changing. And so that affects, again, how we go to market, who we define as competitors, what the consumer insight is around the struggle or the job to be done? What are they looking for? And then how do we participate in that? And I think that's true of all the businesses for all the things you just described. It requires us to rethink what we consider to be important with the consumer. I understand how at the end of the month or at the end of the quarter, you can understand if you achieve this KPI of increasing share of stomach. Mm -hmm. But in the day-to-day, -day, when your team is hands-on keyboard and they're investing in digital marketing, how are you tying share of stomach to like the dollars that they're putting in Facebook and Google search? Yeah, of course. The share of stomach idea is really tying it back to just the consumer. And that's what we would call back to the things we get in terms of data would be household penetration, share of basket, share of wallet, right? We're still using those primary metrics. Mm -hmm. I call it share of stomach because that's an actual combination of a purchase metric and a consumption metric. But the reality is we still look at those data points to identify where we show up and where consumers are identifying themselves, right? Demand signals, if you will. First of all, again, cake is a breakfast occasion. So <laughs> that's right. I, I do think it becomes very hard to, to be more precise, especially when you're dealing both with a portfolio of brands and the fact that if anything, COVID created the idea of like any occasion is a good occasion to eat, drink, or otherwise. Does that change the way you think about go-to-market versus maybe perhaps previously prescribed, this food is for this meal? Absolutely. And it actually is really critical to how we've defined go-to-market. And I will say Rachel coined this, and I call it all the time. She says, we were very unorthodox for a CPG company in that we manage the entire portfolio 
against those occasions you just described. And I'll give you a specific example around our brands, including Duncan Hines. Historically, we would have said in our portfolio, we have a brand called Healthy Choice, right? We would identify people who are looking for healthy alternatives or low sugar or high protein, right? Very health-centric attributes. And then we would say, well, here's an audience, and we've isolated that audience for just healthy eating. And then you know what they would be excluded from? Our cake communications. Because you would say that healthy eaters don't eat cake. But instead, we said, you know what? Some people eat healthy choice so that they can eat cake later. It's part of balance, right? We do that. So by thinking about the portfolio holistically, again, share of stomach and obviously share of wallet and basket, we're looking at how consumers build their total eating behavior. And that allows us to actually flex to where those opportunities exist. The same households that buy healthy choice also buy Duncan Hines cake. And therefore, we can communicate to them as they show up in their signals on those different occasions, where historically we might have isolated them or left them off the list, right? That gives us more dynamic flexibility to follow how consumers actually buy and behave and eat because it's a constant process and it's impermanent. What you did yesterday does not define your eating behavior for tomorrow. On the topic of audiences, over the last few years, when someone was in your seat and they wanted to build these high quality shopper audiences, they were often doing it via pixel or another word, a cookie. And then fast forward to the year 2021, the cookie-less internet has arrived and brands are questioning the durability of how they were creating these audiences and doing segmentation. What's your view on precision marketing in a cookie-less internet world? I think what's what's been good in the way we've approached it is we've looked at a different set of demand signals, right? We just talked about a varied number of signals that consumers continue to provide. Some of them are, require stronger direct relationships with platforms, right? Where the activity is happening. Prior to this, we had a lot of desire to find single IDs and follow people across their different behaviors. It's going to require us to be more precise in how we operate within certain contexts and environments. Sometimes it may require more resources, right? Because it'll make a more diffuse set of activities and actions. But at the same time, it requires us to be smarter about what signals we need to respond to. And I always talk about this world of big data, which is just little data added up, right? (laughs) Do you need to know someone's shoe size to know they like cake? Remember how we got at a certain point with data? It's like, I need to know all this stuff about (laughs) this consumer in this household to decide if they like cake. You know what people do right now? They do a search and said, I'm looking for cake or what's the best cake or the best cake recipe. That may be all we need to be more precise in terms of who we engage. Does that make sense? Like it just requires us to rethink and constantly reimagine the way we think about consumer data and signals. We just have to be, you know, smarter. That really, uh, speaks volumes. Although I'll just say, my name is Sarah Hofstetter. I'm a size eight shoe and I like (laughs) cake. Now everybody has that first party data about me. And I'm just curious to see what like ads Alexis up to me at the end of this podcast. Stuart Weitzman and cake. Ooh, I like that. I think that's a really good collab. Screw McDonald's and, you know, Travis Scott. All about the high low. Yes. So Daylou, your CEO has publicly said that e-commerce is the way of the future. You're shipping frozen to people's homes. How does ConAgra balance the reimagination of, of products, pack sizes, and more to win 
in a world that at minimum was e-commerce first during the pandemic, but it's e-commerce to stay even here and beyond. Well, again, it goes back to following those consumers. I mean, even prior to the pandemic, our team was, was mapping that consumer migration across different platforms, different modalities, right? From home shipment to home delivery to buy online and pick up in store. We were mapping and watching the consumers uh, move across those modalities. And again, while it's accelerated to some of those broader home shipment and home delivery modalities, obviously out of necessity, we were seeing consumers use those for different need states and occasions on an accelerated rate anyway. What we were doing along the way is we have a really great way to think about the way we innovate from a product perspective to how we identify audiences for opportunity to what content we make for them. And it's all using that same data. What are the consumers doing? And we call it demand spaces. Right? A lot of people talk about that demand spaces, but we're really looking at all those data points. What are they doing in social? What are they doing in search? What are they doing in their broader um, behaviors from a purchase perspective that drives the products that we make or the modifications we make to our products anyway. So we're following them and making those modifications and call it real time or as real a time as we can. And it's a constant process from product to how we market to what content we create. And that's an iterative process that we do through all agile that is kind of continuous. Has there been any signal that's led to a new product? The thing I like to share that it's in market right now is you, back to Duncan Hines. Have you seen the Duncan Hines Epic? It's in the very colorful boxes and it right. has big cookies and products that look like they're spilling off the page of Pinterest, right? So that was identified a combination of obviously we're watching consumer demand out in the general marketplace and, and our product teams are always thinking about great innovations. But then you start to bring together the visuals, the way people are engaging with it and the way they're sharing that. And it starts to form up in a collective set of insights that creates a product like that, right? Because of mm -hmm. course, you could just keep making cake mix and it show up like it would. But that creates opportunities for products that happen all the time. I'll give you other examples. We do kidding. We did this great holiday baking kit with Duncan Hines where we put together components that you would normally buy individually, but we saw people buying collectively, consistently. And then we worked with uh, Social Works to have some budding designers build out the, the content. And then we sold that online. So we do things like that. We just did a Peeps kit for Duncan Hines, right? So there are Cute. lots of different ways to think about you know, price pack architecture, how we build new products. But there's also a tremendous opportunity within existing portfolios to really take advantage of sometimes their trends, sometimes their lasting behaviors specifically on Epic, just because I felt like it was almost, it sounds like it was just taking those signals, the Fruity Pebbles um, version. I'm like, oh, I do that at home already. I will do anything with a cake mix. Like, <laughs> I, I don't mean to be only focusing on Duncan Hines. I have so many hacks for Duncan Hines products, not just the yellow cake, not just the brownies, like legit. I have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. I also like decorating cakes. So it's a lot easier to do it with Duncan Hines. <laughs> I was actually wondering how much of that kind of came from social insights versus like a ton of consumer research. I think what you're talking about is when we talk about data and signals, it's that redefinition I said earlier, what's a data and a signal? Because typically in organizations that might be isolated to the PR or comms team or the social team and marketing or an SEO team. And we, we work 
as an organization saying that's all data that we're all looking at and communicating consistently to talk about its impact. And I think that's the whole idea of redefining this concept of data and signals. As you said, it used to be research and there was a specific group that did that. But we think of it more as a flywheel where we're always literally constantly bringing those insights to each other with our demand sciences team, with our R&D teams, with our leadership teams. What do we see? What are we hearing? What does it mean? And there's always a way to have that conversation across the enterprise. That's transformative in terms of our speed and our ability to take advantage of that information. That cross-functional sharing, I continued to feel it's pretty unique to ConAgra and part of the secret sauce. The other part of the secret sauce, Delu, that I've you know watched you do over the last few years is just all of the work that you lead the way on to create a more diverse and inclusive workplace. Mm-hmm. You know, last time we caught up, you and I, we didn't talk business. You literally told me about everyone that had been promoted in the organization and how proud you were. I just would love for you to share some of the work that you're doing on creating a more diverse workplace. I know you're really passionate about it. And a lot of our listeners are trying to do the same thing while accelerating commerce. That's great. And thanks for pointing that out. It it is something that I'm particularly proud of is that a lot of my team, even myself, when I joined Conagra, I'd been in CPG for about eight months and food for just two years. So that was a big, bold move to bring someone with my background after 16 years in automotive to rethink and reimagine the way we go to market. And I had a ton of support in the organization to bring people from agency, from retail, from QSR, from all these different experiences that we brought together to help build new capabilities and help the enterprise find new ways to be successful in commerce. That was part of it where we brought this really diverse group of people and diverse group of partners together. Even when we work with you guys, right? We had this team that said, we saw you on stage. We met you right after and said, let's work together, right? That was really how our organization or our team was set up and leadership really asked us to take the lead in, in thinking like that. And as I said, when you bring all those people into a traditional company, it's not always clear how they're going to succeed or progress in their careers because they could be seen as sort of transactional experts, right? An expert in programmatic media who comes in to do that as long as you do that. Uh, You know, the person we hired to do that a few years ago got promoted to manager, and now she's doing broader media execution in a completely agile framework. The head of media that we brought in, who is a manager, is also now a developer of technology products that are helping us better measure our performance and deliver it through dynamic dashboards, right? So those are really important as we think about, again, the diversity of our team and bringing those different perspectives into what may not be uh, seen as a traditional organization where those skills would be excelling, not surviving, but thriving, inside that environment. But look at the outcomes as created for the way we work and the way our business is able to collaborate and the way our teams are able to communicate differently because we brought all those experiences together. So what's your advice important. for someone that's fighting the battle that the organization is saying, no, you do need 15 years of CPG experience? Yeah. I think it starts with each individual in the areas that they can influence or impact. So again, when I looked at my team, say 30 people, we were able to work together to continue to bring and make a priority of bringing in diverse candidate sets and diverse experiences. And again, right up to my leaders were always advocates for that from the day I walked in. Again, I go back to they hired me. 
Right. And so that was already a big, bold move. And they've continued to support me in bringing in dynamic talent. And I have to tell you, we loved sitting down when we were talking about all the different people, six or seven people out of the maybe uh, 15 that we brought in externally that have all been able to progress throughout different uh, roles in the organization, into sales, into demand science and analytics, into supply chain, into different areas of the organization. We brought in PMO from other companies, from retail and those types of things. And the collective intelligence that is created for the enterprise has been uh, really, really important for us. That could have been your answer to our famous question, but uh, I feel like you have something else up your sleeve. (laughs) Daily, what is the bravest thing that you've ever done? Absolutely. It was moving my family to Tokyo right after the Fukushima earthquake. You remember that? The big Fukushima earthquake? Mm -hmm. I was working for Audi in the US. was recruited over to be a chief digital officer of Nissan, a global uh, leadership role based in Tokyo. I'd been there myself individually, maybe for three to five months, you know, earlier in my career. But now I had a family. I had two small children and my wife, and we packed everything and moved to Tokyo. And that was an amazing experience. I had a team of 85 people spread across the world, part based in Tokyo. Part of them didn't speak English. I had to really start to function in Japanese, which I had a translator, to be honest. But that was a big, bold (laughs) move. It was the best experience. You talk about learning diversity and humanity and humility. When I take myself and my family and move them there and have to integrate into an international organization that speaks Japanese as a core language that I don't speak. And I had teams in London and Singapore and France and India. And we had to bring all of that together to deliver global scale solutions. I would say it was pretty brave for me, but it was the most rewarding experience in my career. I don't even know how I would function in a situation like that, just in terms of the the learning curve, but it, it seems like the takeaway was empathy. Absolutely. It's number one. It's what my boss told me when you get there. He said, you'll be the best manager you've ever been because you've never managed this type of diversity. And it gave me, even as a person of color, a new appreciation for the concept of diversity on a global (laughs) scale. (laughs) So powerful. Well, Daylu, I always enjoy every conversation with you. So thank you for coming on the show. Everyone follow this man on LinkedIn and we will meet again soon enough. Always great to talk with you guys. Look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.
Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcast new episodes come out every tuesday i do hope to see you there